Hey, y'all, if you enjoy watching your podcast, which seems kind of weird watching your podcast, but some people really enjoy that. So we have a YouTube channel. You can find it at Heather Parody, P-A-R-A-D-Y. It's also linked up in the show notes. You can hit subscribe. And several of these interviews are actually in person. So you can watch that. Again, that is at Heather Parody on YouTube. If you've been in the entrepreneurial space for any time, and especially interested in content marketing, you've probably heard the name Sean Cannell. He's the CEO of Think Media, and he has dedicated his life to helping purpose-driven content creators make a bigger impact through their work. Sean's YouTube channels have more than 2 million subscribers and over 150 million views. As you can imagine, Sean has a wealth of tactical knowledge about content creation and growing a YouTube channel. But I wanted to have him on the show to talk about measuring impact. As a faith-focused man, how does he stay grounded in his spirituality and values while scaling a digital identity? Y'all know we had to go deep. In this conversation, you're going to hear Sean's philosophy on balancing faith and success in business, a tactical way to know if you're making a difference through your work, and how he wrestles with what some might see as conflicting interests with spirituality and growth. Y'all might need to pull up a chair for this one. Kind of chasing fame or views or virality, wrong things to chase. Those things should be byproducts of a purpose-driven, intentional life. Now you're viral. Now you're famous. Now you're miserable because you're famous for something you didn't even want to be famous for. Mm, hey, you want to be preach. famous? What if we get a video to go viral for you? You get canceled and you get so much backlash. What question do you wish people were asking you more that they don't? Number one... I Family, I'm, I'm so pumped to get to talk to Sean today. I've been following uh, your videos for, gosh, a few years now. You know, I'm not a super techie girl. I'm not, you know, tactics are cool. I learned a lot from that. But I think what drew me to your work is this whole mission of wanting to help mission-driven folks make a dent in this world, make an impact, and use these tools, you know, as a tool to reach people and do what we were put on this earth to do. 10,000 purpose-driven people create a full-time living on YouTube. I'm going to get to the purpose-driven in a minute, but where'd 10,000 come from, Sean? Yeah. So thank you so much for having me on the show. The reason we said 10,000, we help people with YouTube, wrote a book, YouTube Secrets, free videos. We have courses. And really also I did the thing first. I discovered the power of YouTube in my personal life. And then, you know, if you've experienced something, you want to tell other people about it. And so started to theorize, could my eventually dialed in methodology and proprietary process, which is like a seven hour system that we apply to YouTube, mm -hmm. had ranked videos, done affiliate marketing, learned how to work from home and kind of build it passive income. And also was able to do all that really motivated because of being in a challenging season where my wife almost died and having a lot of you know, a fire lit that I had to figure this thing out. After many years of toil and trial and testing and experimenting, once I kind of figured that out, it sort of pivoted things for me, mainly doing just tech reviews to teaching YouTube. Yeah. And so then it, I realized the power of having a mission statement or a vision statement. And the reason I picked 10,000 was because I kind of sometimes think at first, I'm not trying to judge anybody else's mission statement, but I think at first, People are like, I want to impact 7 billion people with my toothbrush. And it's like, okay, well, have you yep. sold one? Yep. And so there's actually a great book called Zero to One. 
Like before you even make 10,000 sales or change 10,000 people's life, can you change one person's life? So 10,000 was hard, a stretch, mm -hmm. just starting, but also practical. And also to attach, go full time is a whole nother thing because ultimately I'm kind of saying or promising like, we're going to help you quit your day job, work from home, yeah. learn a new skill set. And we're also very obsessed at Think Media with that. We have a monday.com board where we have people, our success students, those that have gotten gold play buttons, a million subscribers, those that are silver play buttons and just tracking success up and comers. And then realizing that full-time can sometimes be hard to narrow down. Many business owners join our programs. Like they're already full-time. They're doing what they yeah. love. They just want more leads, clients, and sales from YouTube. Some people might already be partway there. But we are obsessed with actually tracking, not wanting to just have some shallow vision with, you know, kind of empty words about let's make an impact and put a right. dent in right. the universe. You're like, okay, but like, what does that even mean? So, so 10,000 was like a practical number, adding names to a Monday board. And we actually just recently updated our mission statement after seven years to a million, our mission is to help 1 million purpose-driven people create a full-time living, doing what they love while making a difference in the world with YouTube. And the reason we pivoted that was we have our hard data that is tracked to monday.com, pictures we have of people with silver play buttons. But then we also have so many stories, unable, countless stories, especially when I speak at events or go to VidCon or something. People come up to me and they go, bro, I'm so, mm -hmm. I can't believe you're standing in front of me. I started following your stuff years ago and now this is what I'm doing full-time now. I thrift and sell stuff online and on eBay and I made a YouTube channel about it. And like my wife and I, or, you know, are as a family and, and so myself, my team verbally DMS and external information. I, I mentioned it to Rob, the founder of vidIQ. I said what our mission is. And he goes, bro, I think you accomplished that a long time. Like I hear you a, a while ago, I hear yeah. constantly people referencing you ba back to think media for you helping to get their start and whatnot. So we elevated the number. And I think there's maybe something to learn from that because the whole idea, it's not bad to set a mission at 10,000 and hit it. You then just update your mission update, as opposed yeah. to, and then lastly, even the, the a million is based in the fact that right now there's 250 million content creators that are active. Adobe said 165 million joined since 2020. There was the whole signal fire report before that, that said there was 50 million, how many were professionals, how many were just getting started. So on a conservative level, we are professionals that are looking at the TAM, the total addressable market. And so a million people of the 250 million, of course, many of those maybe are, haven't made money yet, or, or are, there's a lot of struggling influencers that will make a thousand dollars over a year, which is incredible, or they'll make 5,000 but also realizing the skill gap that they need. How do you turn that 5,000 into 50,000 and et cetera? So it's, it's all pretty thoughtful. There's a lot of thought that has gone into getting clear on that. And, and we're only a half a percent or less of the total addressable market in terms of ambition to do this. That's the mission that we're on. And as a team, I said, we just went, we just took a major factor increase. So mm. much so that's sort of a moonshot from 10,000 to a million is kind of a moonshot goal. So that now will cause us to stretch and think different. Like Benjamin Hardy saying 10X is better than 2X. It wasn't just now it's our mission is to help 20,000 purpose-driven right. people. We, we took an exponential leap and trying to architect our company and our mission and how we serve people and the content we create to just fill and you know, get as close as we can. I love that. I know you normally start your story 
with you helping this pastor and kind of pushing him a little bit to, hey, man, you need to get on YouTube before YouTube was like a cool thing. And if anybody's been to a church and tried to convince somebody to get on social media, y'all can kind of feel, you know, probably what that must have been like. But I wanted to kind of go back even a little bit before then and just ask you, do you have, since a young age, did you feel called to ministry or where did you kind of see yourself in the role of church or was that just a random position that you had at that time? Yeah, it was pretty random because for me, as a, at a young age, high school, I wanted to be a, a white rapper, you know? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a true story. Really? I loved Eminem. I did, I was really into freestyling, still am a little bit. I did a, a rap song for my high school talent show. And I was super obsessed, uh, obsessed with hip hop culture, a little bit on the underground scene because I grew up skateboarding and snowboarding ski bus for 10 years. But also some of the lifestyle that comes with that is sort of like, you know, sure. once in forties and hoes. Sure. <sighs> and I actually got expelled from Christian high school for partying really hard. And I mean, ultimately for being in a video with three other females. And so no way. That, yeah. If that ever leaks, it might be kind of a Kim K story, but I think that footage was d deleted. So ultimately what happened was by the time I was 19, I hit really rock bottom. I got expelled from Christian high school, kind of shameful because, mm -hmm. you know, now I just went to community college to like finish high school, smoking weed every day, really got into hard rave drugs which is also if, if you compound multiple days in a row of doing like ecstasy and mushrooms and all this kind of stuff, not very, not super great fun when you're at the top. And then mm -hmm. like when you come down, it's not great. And so that lifestyle for about a year really got me into some precarious situations. And I actually, I remember there was a huge turning point, which we went to this rave in Seattle and I had done ecstasy multiple days in a row, which your serotonin's gone. So now you're not even getting the benefit. It's kind of just cracking your system out and and it's more just like speed at that point. So I hadn't really slept. And my friend was a dealer. He got lost. He took like six pills. He was lost in Seattle. His car was gone. And my girlfriend and I were like stuck at this rave up all night. And as we started to come down, it's also like the scales fall off your eyes. You look around and you're like, totally. this is a dark situation. Like everyone's yeah. pretty sad, you know, in that morning, sitting around trying to recover. But we were like lost. Our friend was gone. We didn't have a car. So we got in some random car, drove to this random house in, in Edmonds. And I remember sitting there on the couch surrounded by strangers sitting next to my girlfriend and people started doing cocaine and there was like guns on the table and it was like a some gang banger situation huge subwoofers and they started cranking up this rager party at like 6 30 a.m in edmonds washington and i remember sitting on the couch like scanning the room and like looking at the coke and looking at the guns and looking at what was mm. happening and looking at the clock and thinking to myself, I may have made one or two bad decisions that led me to this point. Like I may have, yeah. there's maybe a few, like where I am verifiably, the evidence around me suggests that I took the wrong path a couple of times for where I am. And so I remember we left, we just started walking, my girlfriend and I, and I feel awful because I was just being really hard on her. I started to cry and I was like, yeah. I'm mad at myself. I'm mad at you. What are we going to do? Where's our friend Brian? All this stuff. And then eventually we got picked up by our friend Jesse and went back to her apartment. But I had to work at Red Robin that day and I didn't call in sick. So I was waiting tables. I had a double shift. So I popped another pill 
went to work. I remember coworkers were like, bro, you look jaundiced. Like what is wrong? You, your mm-hmm. eyes look wrong. Your skin looks bad. It's like, no surprise. And I did a double shift and that amount of fatigue and wear and tear on my body kind of sent me into this depression that lasted for a, a week, which was a, a gift from God, honestly, because I had a lot of time to reflect. And that's what led to my stepdad came up to me during that time. It was like, Hey, what would you think about going to Prairie Bible Institute, this Bible college in Alberta, Canada, that some of my parents went to that were missionaries uh, and, and they're my mom and her siblings. And I would have never wanted to go to Three Hills, Alberta, 3,000 people in this small town, 2,000 are the students, surrounded by tundra and snow. Mm. There's no circumstances where I ever would have, even if I wanted to go to a Bible college, that would not have been, I would have picked that location. But it was like the perfect thing. And I was like, yes, that's absolutely what I wanted to do. And it wasn't because I even wanted to really seek God. It was the light bulb moment of, I clearly see I need a break. I need to, I need to go. I thought I was going to be a monk. I was, you know, for a while I was like, I need to disconnect. I need to get out of the situation. I need a radical shift. I need to do something. And that's what sent me on a different trajectory. And what's interesting is I wasn't like at that age. And and even in high school, I kind of had maybe still a negative view of the world. I kind of really just wanted to like party and escape and, and whatever. Whereas you know, today I have strong vision and strong convictions mm-hmm. and all this mm-hmm. different stuff. And so I didn't have purpose or vision or knew I wanted to do. It wasn't that I wanted to be in ministry. I didn't want to be in corporate. I don't, I didn't know what I wanted to do at all. I just didn't have clarity for all those years. And so actually foundationally for me first was as I went to that Bible college, I started to get exposed to some people that really brought some healing to my heart. I started mm-hmm. to study the Bible for myself and actually saw so many principles that we build our company on today. One of our core values is the Bible is our blueprint that actually started to like re-architect my inner world, my outer world and became the foundation. And then when I came home, long story, but I end up land the plane here. You mentioned, well, actually the first thing that this is 2003, I came home. My parents had gone to a different church in Marysville, Washington, an hour North of Seattle. And while I was at Bible college, I called them. They're telling me we went to this new church. It's really cool. I said, Hey, could you ask like the youth pastor, if I could intern, I hadn't been there. I didn't know what was happening. But what I was thinking about was as I was starting to get wisdom from the Bible, I started realizing there's a story of King David, where it says that in the spring, when kings go out to war, King David was pacing on his balcony when he saw Bathsheba bathing naked down below. And, you know, saw that he was like, bro, I'm the king, call her up here, slept with her. And it set a, a series of events that were you know, the natural results of the consequences for wrong decisions. But here was the thing. It was in the spring when kings were supposed to be at war, he wasn't busy. He wasn't active building or doing what he was supposed to do. He was passive and idle and idle time always creates space to get into, you know, trouble or maybe not to live up to your highest values. So I was like, I'm going to intern somewhere. I'm going to pack my schedule because when I come home from Bible college, I love my friends, all my friends that I hung out with. Like, I love all these guys, but I also know my willpower is not that strong. And I would rather invite them into my busy world than have idle time where they're like, hey, you want to just go, you know, chill? And next thing you know, you know, because I realized that I had not built up strong enough character to handle that. So that's what I did. I packed my calendar, interned at this church, sight unseen. And when I started serving in what's called 180 and Jeff Moore's is the youth pastor, 
he handed me a video camera and Adobe Premiere and said, hey, start making videos for the youth group Wednesday night. This is 2003. And I made a video every single Wednesday. They were terrible, Heather. I mean, they were they were the worst videos of all time. But think about content creators today. They need to make consistent quality content and they're trying to figure out how to edit and all this kind of stuff. Well, I started doing that in 2003 in a disciplined fashion. I mean, it was 52 videos a week. I mean, a year because I made one every single week. So I started to build this content creation muscle even before we understood there was like such a thing as content creation that would go on the internet. And then the first channel we started was in 2007 for the church. So that's how I'm on YouTube for 20 years. Uh, I mean, I'm doing video for 20 years on YouTube for 17. I love video. Clearly, I am into it enough. It's a passion. But, you know, even more than a passion, it's like I don't think it's my biggest passion. I have a lot of other passions. I think there's something about finding something you're good at. I think passion actually starts to multiply once you develop competency. Like someone was just asking me why I don't play golf. I'm like, well, one reason is I suck. And I'm like, (laughs) and if, and I don't really want to get good, but if I got good, I'd probably love golf. I love snowboarding, not just because it's fun, but I'm actually good. Why? Because I did it long enough. So, so sometimes it's like, I don't even know what my passion is. Well, maybe go develop a skill, try multiple different skills and Others have asked me, bro, you've been saying the long, the same thing for a long time. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. and actually just continues to compound. I think in a distracted world, we start chasing this, we start chasing that, totally mm-hmm. fine to reinvent yourself. But I have found crazy enterprise value in my own skills, company value, personal brand by being able to say that I've been doing video for 20 years, totally. YouTube for 20 years. Totally. How, and, it just, and I kept doubling down and compounding on that. So yeah, that's really where it all came about. I really didn't choose video, video chose me. And I stuck with it. And it is my personal belief that if you're faithful with what's in your hand, God will give you what's in your heart. And fast forward to today, I have a platform to share different stories, explore different patch. I really love leadership. Now I'm doing team leading teams. Yeah. Yeah. Those all become interesting things, but video was the vehicle that even allowed me to be able to pay a staff. Video was the vehicle mm-hmm. that allowed me to have even people care about other aspects about my life what people first want to actually oftentimes discover you for as a personal brand is what problem can you solve for them? Totally. What are you kind of known for? What could they learn from you? So having fierce clarity in a world of heavy distraction is so important. Like Zig Ziglar said, you don't want to be a wandering generality. You want to be a meaningful specific. And so finding video, doubling down on video has opened up the door to make my world a lot larger. And ultimately, yes, video is a passion, but it's also helped me chase multiple passions because you need money for the mission. And now there's resource and other things around, you know? Yeah. How do you stay grounded in your faith and your mission in the midst of all this? Like I am sold on online media. I've told many, many times it saved my life. It exposed me to things I would have never been exposed to before. It is incredible. The doors that'll open for folks when you get in it and you start making and creating, no matter how pure, quote, quote, your heart is going into it, man, like there's so many things pulling at you. And one thing that I admire about your work is you are just super consistent with your faith and the values that you bring to the table. And I just, any words of wisdom you have for staying grounded in that, but still not keeping your head in the ground and staying up to date on what's actually happening in the world. You know, kind of being exposed to church and church culture and Christians at a young age, I have immense love for them. And I understand the quirks and stereotypes of Christians that they can have and those that get into religion and different things. And for 
Christians, they struggle with a lot of things when it comes to this online media space. Self-promotion, it's a great question. Yep. Should you be promoting yourself? Ambition, what is, is there such a thing as toxic ambition? Is there healthy ambition? Pride, greed. Yep, yep. The <laughs> interesting thing is though, that unfortunately a lot of Christians have wrong mental models and, and mm -hmm. wrong interpretations of the Bible. So it really is, you gotta, you, Jesus actually is, can be quoted in the gospel saying, be careful how you hear. It's such a powerful line because what was said is not necessarily what you hear. And so be careful how you hear, be careful how you interpret it. And of course, we have to be deeply passionate about sound theology, but a lot of people, yeah, whether who they were mentored by or what they read or what they read out of context, when they have one verse and 99% of Christians haven't read the whole Bible. And so you know, there's different things. So saying all that, what it can lead to is it can lead to just a throw the baby out with the bathwater thing. Totally. Let's avoid social media. Let's avoid. And by the way, besides just being a content creator, the consumer side, you take the social dilemma, Netflix documentary. This stuff's all true. I mean, there's a lot of things we have to be careful with, but unfortunately what happens is there's an overcorrection for maybe not just Christians, but for people that are like, that could say, oh, social media is just shallow, so I'm not going to be on it. And it's like, well, you're not wrong. There's a lot of shallowness on social media, but your conclusion is probably wrong because it's really just a tool and the way the person uses it could be for good or evil. It could be used for service or selfishness. Same thing with money. And that's that keeps a lot of people broke because they're like, well, rich people are greedy. That's actually not true. Rich people I meet are generous. It's like, but because that mindset is like, well, then I'm not even going to embrace that thing. I'm going to run completely away from it. So how, what do I do? I think number, I think then there's the other extreme and I'm trying to find someplace in the middle. The other extreme is people who ignore all of the above. I think that if you are not cautious about your ego, about pride, about how things could be going to your, it's important to stay humble because I lead a team now of like 30 people. And so if I start, if I let it go to my head and. I become arrogant or mean or cruel to my mm -hmm. team, or I think I'm all that. I mean, that just sucks in general. I mean, even if we end up making it and have some kind of success, we still ultimately lose. Right. My personal definition of success is at the end of my life, I want the people closest to me to love and respect me the most. So social media is one thing. You got to also audit your inner world. How are you treating people around you? How is the health of your inner world? So here's, here's my prescription personally. Rather than being like afraid that I might get greedy, the antidote to greed is generosity. So I have habits and practices to fight greed continuously. I'm glad our business is doing well, and we believe that we are blessed to be a blessing. So we do things like support 101 kids through Compassion International every month. Every year, we do Thanksgiving during Thanksgiving. Think our company, Think Media, Thanksgiving. We give $1,000 to any charity or nonprofit of our team's choice, which would be like 30 grand this year because it's like 30 people. And so if we have more people, we give more. And then, and then whether it was the tragic fires in Hawaii this year and some different things, we oftentimes, it's one of our core values. Big generosity is one of our seven core values. Someone could say, man, look at Shawnee's greedy. Not that maybe they think that, but it's like, yeah, maybe. And maybe it's actually, maybe it's growing. So I'm going to kill it. Like I'm going to fight that with generosity. So it's like, okay, if, are you getting a little bit selfish? Well, it's going to be normal. Like we're going to, you know, cause we all, we're all humans, different things could happen. So then the other thing would be having habits and practices. So having people in your life that could tell you no, or that can speak the truth to you. 
and then a faith practice for me, staying planted in a local church, and then a faith practice of like prayer and reading the Bible. The Bible is the only book that when you read it, it reads you. And my belief is the author of the book reads it with you because in Christian tradition, we have the Holy Spirit. So it's a very powerful book that that cuts you a lot. Like that's maybe mm -hmm. it's so powerful because it says it reveals the motives of your heart. So ultimately, a lot of times if a Bible, a Bible that's falling apart is owned by a person who isn't. Yeah. And so if I stay in the word and I've got people in my life and I'm, if I'm staying in church and if I'm giving, and if we continue to do better, then it gives us an opportunity to give more. Then I think though we're, we're having kind of checks and balances to stay on the path. I just interviewed Aaron McManus on our podcast. This is a I big deal. Him. He said almost, you know, 99% of self-development is helping people deal with failure. And there's almost no quality content on helping people deal with success and dealing with success is harder than dealing with failure. That might sound offend that might offend some people because it'd be like easy for you to say, but when you see people get successful, they blow up their marriages, they blow up their life, they blow up their health, they get in, they're trying to deal with the pressure. So I think awareness, this is one of the most, this powerful podcast and you, you know, doing, having conversations like this, these are the real conversations that people need to hear. Of course, there's, how do I actually get successful? How do I sure. pay, be persevere through the valley of failure? How do I recover? And how do I have patience? But I think it's, it's being aware of all of the above. I think it's about studying history. I think it's about studying. So I'm studying, you know, you look at King Saul, who was the first king in Israel, and then David to follow, and then even Absalom, David's son. There's a really good book by Gene Edwards called Three Kings that talks about three types of kings to be. You could be King Saul, you could be David, or you could be Absalom. And uh, these archetypes that, you know, hint, you want to be David, not Saul or Absalom. And Saul, insecurity pulled him down. Pride wanted to be honored, built a statue in his own honor, just different things. Absalom built his thing by by lies and deceit, drawing people to himself. His, his The way to build his kingdom was to tear David's down. And so you see all these different character traits. And then you see David, who was also just humble. He trusted God bowed his head and left when Absalom left and was like, God will, mm -hmm. and the end of the things, the truth will come out. Ultimately, that is my foundation, all mm -hmm. of the above. So I feel like I've been getting ready for decades to hopefully be able to steward the success that we're having. And the worst possible thing, you know, be careful that you think you could stand lest, lest, that lest you fall. Pride comes before the fall. Humble yourself and the Lord will exalt you. And it's my conviction that if you, my, maybe my biggest mission personal activity that I have to make sure is a part of my calendar is actually to work on going lower, work on staying humble, because especially when I feel the lift, I mean, we were experiencing a lot of it. There's a lot of momentum. There's a lot of yeah. lift. Yeah. So therefore I've got to be intentional would be the word. You got to be intentional about being aware that, wow, we're, we're propelling. Great. Let me be thoughtful in the practices and what's on my calendar to stay humble. Great. We're making even more money than before. Awesome. Let's be intentional yeah. about giving because I I'm feeling a little greedy and clingy. Wow. More is coming in and I want to hoard it and protect it. Okay. Now that's a sign I need to give. And it, and it changes your heart where your treasure is. Your heart yeah. will be also it's So it, your heart actually is transformed. Money is one of the biggest things we all stress out about, right? Money is, uh, has such, it has spiritual power to it. Like money, mm -hmm. the only spirit Jesus referenced was the spirit of mammon. And so you actually have being thoughtful. I'm not going to avoid money. It's a powerful tool. And, but be, being aware of how it should be like handled with care. I think it, you know, handle with care, intentional, 
And so those are a few thoughts. I hope that's helpful. So good. And uh, come up for me is the word impact. How do you measure that? Because if you're working with purpose-driven leaders, I mean, I know our ego and I'll speak for me. I'll speak for me. You know, I go to how many people interacted with this and how many people viewed it. And you know, what's the reach of this, which is all really good metrics, but also too, when you go back into like what you feel called to do, sometimes it gets a little blurry thinking about how do you actually freaking measure impact in yeah. a digital landscape? I think the way you measure it, I learned this from Dave Ramsey. They pump out so much media. A lot of people don't mm -hmm. realize he and his other peers, other personalities are like probably the number one personal finance channel on YouTube. Totally. Something like 20 million views a month on the clips and 4 million on the on the uh, actual episode. And then, especially if you realize, well, like the world's not just YouTube. So when you think about the radio impact and their other impact, but here's what they said. Yep. They've defined in their company like deep transformation resources and shallow transformation resources. I don't know if that's the exact language, but that's the idea. So they want people to consume a short, a reel. They want people to watch the the show, the Ramsey show or Entree Leadership. But their conviction is if they can get someone, a book in someone's hand and someone can read the book, deep transformation can happen. I agree with that too, because books are in a way going down in popularity. Audiobooks are kind of on fire. There is mm -hmm. a book talk re revolution, but people's mm -hmm. attention spans. So people buy a book, they don't necessarily finish it. But what, what, why read an entire book when you can get snippets of information on the internet? Well, the stories and the repetition and the immersion and the disconnection from the distraction of your phone and social, yes. unless you're reading Kindle, give you give the soil of your heart and mind a chance for the truths and transformational power of the content to actually create deep impact, like Cal Newport Preaching. said, deep work, rather than just kind of some sh shallow, shallow social media scrolling. I was asking myself, you think there's going to be anybody in 10 years that's like, oh my gosh, I will never forget in 2023, I was scrolling on YouTube shorts and there was this one YouTube short that changed my entire life. Like I actually look back now. Now I'm not saying that's not possible and right. I'm, a, I'm a YouTube guy, but right. the problem with a lot of the information there is, is it's amazing, but then you're on to the next thing and it's all intermixed entertainment, this or that. Maybe I remember last night because I watched some YouTube shorts last night, but I don't remember last week. I don't know what it, you know? And so, but I remember books I've read and the titles yeah. of books have stuck with me and given me mental models and frameworks were Rory Vaden. It's like, never take the mm -hmm. elevator, always take the stairs, right? So oh, even yeah. physically, it might be like, let's take the stairs. It'd be healthier, but take the stairs is take the harder path and like the more deep work, Cal Newport. Like you yeah. can talk in book titles if you read books. And then behind the book is all kinds of transformational meaning. So I think for somebody doing what you and I do, I think the goal would just try to be able to think about creating products and programs and services and experiences that actually lead to deep transformation and to use social media to lead to those greater transformation assets. So like we have a course called Video Ranking Academy, and it was kind of funny because we are uh, right now recruiting coaches think media certified coaches. And we were like looking at somebody and we were saying, okay, it's so cool how the results they got. I think they're at 10,000 subs. They're doing very good. They applied. They're, they're doing great. But as I studied, knowing being the creator of the system, as I studied their content, I looked at, I'm like, they don't, they don't quite get it yet. They've got a lot, 10,000 subs. They got momentum, but they don't like really get the seven R system that I created. And if they're going to be a thick media, that's, you know, there's other methodologies, of course, but if they're going to be one of our certified coaches, we can train that, right. but we would want them to get it. So I'm just assessing. So then I said, okay, hey, well, let's log in a Kajabi, see how much of the course they completed. 
And so sure enough, this individual completed 30% of the course. Then I was comparing to probably our model think media coach, man, when I think about someone who gets it, could like reteach it as me, his name's Tony Ariola. He currently is like working for the rock's wife in the XFL, but we just had him out in Vegas for my 40th party. And maybe he's gonna, he's got time on his calendar. So we're like, bro, take 15 coaching sessions a week or something, you know? So, cause I'm like, Tony gets it. Now here's what he said though. When he discovered our program, he purchased it, went through it once fast to get the big idea a second time to deeply study the material. Then he attended our event where we go even deeper on it. And then again, sure enough, he had ranked videos about Air, Airbnb back when their affiliate program had brought in all this passive income, helped his wife build a plant-based kitchen kind of thing, ranking all these videos. But here's what I'm getting to. He actually went through the course. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so, super funny. We've learned that the people who actually consume the material, fill out the workbook, get better results than the people who don't watch the material and don't fill out the workbook. Yeah. And so what's the point? Well, I guess a creating, creating transformational things, B being obsessed like with gamification and improving your products and programs to help people with completion. Of course, everybody who reads a book is going to get different results, but a lot of times people, I will tell people don't complain to me about the results you didn't get from the work you didn't do. Mm. So Somebody's like, yeah, I say this all the time to somebody who go like, have you heard about such and such book? I'll be like, yeah, I, I, yeah, totally. I, I have it. I haven't read it because <laughs> I got so I kind of right. have a, it's right. called like bibliomania or something where you have an addiction to buying books that affects your personal and social relationships. I have that. It's an extension of OCD. I probably have 3000 books in my house right now, but saying that I've read a lot of them, but definitely not all of them. And I'm personally shining a light on me. Don't complain for the results you're not getting, Sean, from the book you haven't read, the course you haven't completed, the information you haven't studied and learned. And even if you've also only studied it shallowly, how can you study it more deeply? So that's more on the user side. It's their responsibility to consume it. But for the person like you or I that's wanting to do something like this, I think that you should create programs. You should understand that when people pay, they pay attention. The more they pay, the more attention they pay. I've experienced that myself. And that also tapping into experience, we do a live event, mm -hmm. all these things, they sometimes can get criticism. Everything can by cynical people, but they're like, there's just nothing like actually going to a live event and being in the room. Even if it's the same information, the atmosphere is different. The person you're sitting next to is different. All I mean is that would be a higher level of transformation event. A book or an audiobook is a higher level event than a YouTube short or a higher level vehicle to get transformation in someone's life. So I think ultimate impact would be measured by when the person you want to impact is getting results. Their life is better. They've got a silver play button. They've got some passive income going. They've got an extra 10K a month coming in, depending on what you're trying to achieve. They are able to become a YouTube strategist themselves, help others because they're so however they want to measure that. But I think in doing so, not that social media can't be impactful. I think it's just a piece of the of the convert. It's incomplete for knowledge workers, infopreneurs, mm. if you don't create something that can lead to deeper transformation. We'll wrap up here in just a second, but I bet the amount of DMs and pokes at events and questions just around, hey, Sean, give me a tip. Give me a YouTube tip. Give me a video tip. It's just probably insane. And I was wondering what question do you wish people were asking you more that they don't? Number one, I love when anybody asks any question. But what I, my response to your question about questions 
is that what I see the most is people come to me for tactics when the better question to ask is more about strategy and more about vision. So people will say, Sean, how do I get more views? And I will say, well, I have number one, go watch a hundred and hundred thousand videos on that. You know, I don't know, a thousand videos on the internet on that, join our core. But then I'm like, but why do you want views? What are you even trying to achieve? What niche are you in? What topic yeah. do you have? What, where do you want to be in five to 10 years? Now they don't know that question to ask necessarily. So the opening question leads to better questions. Here's what I've learned, Heather. The quality of the answers we receive in life will be determined by the quality of questions we ask. It's not even necessarily that I want them to ask me a better question, like I like, but it's just that for themselves. I think before, what's a, what's a YouTube growth hack right now? Why do you even want to be on YouTube? What are you trying to achieve with it? Because then when, when it when it ends up happening with the answers to those questions is some people, they just get really, there's, shallow, there's a shallow perspective of, of YouTube meaning, okay, how do I go viral? How do I get famous? How do I go yep. big? Yep. Well, now I'm at, we, everything we talked about at the beginning. So, okay, well, okay, so let's play out our scenario. Now you're viral. Now you're famous. Now you're miserable because you're famous for something you didn't even want to be famous for. Hey, you want to be famous? What if we get a video to go viral for you? You get canceled and you get so much backlash. You know, I don't know. Like, well, if you just want to get viral, well, there's a lot of viral people that had a lot of negativity come with the virality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we maybe narrowed it down. I It's a decent question, but like, Sean, how do I go viral? Do you even want to go viral? And, And then when you did, did you end up becoming known for something like I used to like joke around, like, what if somebody, this is really weird, but it's just weird thoughts that go through my head. I'm like, what if I let somebody shoot me, but, and they were like really accurate and they could shoot in between hit no bones in and out. And I did it on social media and the video didn't get taken down. I better be viral. Like what this guy, this, this guy let himself get shot on social media. <laughs> I always thought about that. I was like, that would be viral if it didn't get taken down. Yeah. Like, ah, I'm like bleeding. Yep. Like it says, it does say like offensive content, but everyone's sharing it. Like this guy let his friend shoot him in the shoulder. But what are we talking about? And that's a little bit of where some people are approaching. They're they're like kind of letting the tail wag the dog. Yeah, They are kind of chasing fame or views or virality, wrong things to chase. Those things should be byproducts of a purpose-driven, intentional life, not the main pursuit. Because if they are the main pursuit, they're going to leave you empty. If they are the main pursuit, you'll probably have to make some, you'll probably have to compromise your values or just do some things that whittle away at your soul or your spirit in order to do so, or just not ultimately be yourself. Like maybe it's um, not to make it so deep. Maybe it's just like, yeah. Oh, I just want to dance on TikTok and wiggle my butt around to get views. A lot of things you could do to get views. A lot of things you could do to make money. So with respect to all kinds of individuals for a lot of females, and I suppose males, it's a lot of money to be made. If you're just like, let's go only fans. Okay. That is a scenario. And the real question would just be, okay, is that but is that what the ultimate vision you have for your life and that ultimate purpose yeah. that you want? If the answer is yes, then at least that person has self-awareness. And that would be what I would encourage people to pursue, to ask some deeper questions. And I handed off a few, but I am a huge believer on the quality of the questions you ask to determine the quality of the answers. And I would encourage every listener to make part of their next year's pursuit actually to collect questions to collect quality questions, to pursue questions. It sounds funny. There's like a book by John Maxwell called Great Leaders Ask Great Questions. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as you start asking greater questions, you could do the seven why thing. 
why do I want to start a YouTube channel? Well, actually, because I just need a little extra money. Good. Well, why do I need a little extra, a little extra money? Well, for me in 2009, because of medical bills and different things, well, why'd you want to pay medical bills? Well, because I want my wife to be as healthy as possible because family is my priority and I want us to have some stability and financial security. Why for that? So that we can ultimately optimize to do the things that we love. And then, well, why that? Well, ultimately, not just we could live this life, but we could set up a legacy because a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Okay, so, so now we have purpose. Okay, and then why do we want that? Well, then also answering all those questions might reveal to me but that now if money's come in and I find myself chasing more success but neglecting my wife or kids, I got off and I could go woe is me and get all shame and guilt, but that's usually not the best motivator. Now it's just going to get back to it. Hey, now we've created this. Let's remember our why. Let's remember our mm -hmm. highest values. Mm -hmm. Let's remember our purpose. Let's remember mm -hmm. our vision. Let's tap into those things again. Having powerful questions can lead you to that. I know some people, they start their morning routine with questions. I heard somebody ask myself three questions every morning. Uh, what am I grateful for today? Who can I bless today? Yeah. Yeah. Who can I think these questions are crazy. Like even as we're asking them, like, who can I bless today? might have just shifted someone's day listening to their podcast, their spouse, their partner needs to hear some encouragement. And the text they send right now could really send a different trajectory. That's triggered by a question. My executive assistant um, on our calendar meeting with my wife and I, who's our CFO, asks us 10 questions every calendar meeting because my brain fog and my fatigue oftentimes doesn't it's better to have a short pencil than a long memory and use the pencil to write down the questions to trigger the direction of your life. So she says, is there anything you and Sonia are doing? Is there anything you and your family are doing? Are there any team members that you want to meet with and cast vision for or any correction? Is there anything putting stress on you right now? Are there any touch points okay. you need to have with anyone you are networking with? Is there anything you are working on that has changed? Should you really do that or commit to that right now? Has any priorities on your plate changed? When is your next date with Sonia? day is preferred. When are you going to a one to two night trip with Sonia? That is every gold, Monday. Man. That's gold. I hope that it's helpful. I would encourage listeners to collect questions and all the way back to YouTube, by all means, I am lovingly open heartedly here to help you get more views or figure out tactics. But I think that's what a lot of people encounter when they encounter our content. We have a program that's oftentimes a bonus with our main course video ranking Academy called niche finder. And what people find out is that it's even deeper than just getting your niche. That's a lot of it. It's like a life architecture. It's like, okay, what are my strengths? What's my vision? Where's the opportunity in the market? How could that align with my priorities? And leading people through a lot of frameworks and different aspects to lead them to great conclusions. I have heard too many stories from famous gurus that are listening to this podcast right now that people will be shocked because they might put people on a pedestal and think their life looks so good but I've heard too many stories of people saying that they worked so hard to get to the top of the mountain only to realize they were climbing the wrong mountain. Mm -hmm. So I think it's these questions can be very helpful at the foundation. And I'm all about move fast, break things, start a channel. I sure. think that we get a lot of wisdom from you know a couple of years of mistakes. So we build a lot of successful entrepreneurs. There was a stat that said they have 2.6 businesses by the time they have a successful business. The average entrepreneur wow. that reaches a measure of success has had 2.6 businesses, meaning the average person has had one or two failures, failures before like the third one worked. I had four YouTube channels, three failed, and those three failures helped me learn. It's and Fair Vision Media, Think Media, 
the Sean Cannell channel. And then Think Media is this huge. That's where our company is today. So sometimes, you know, Sean, like, I don't know, someone's listening to this, 19. You're asking me to like, you know, they're 25. What is the meaning of my life? I don't know the answer. So, so fair enough. I think you can sometimes get too esoteric and just, I think sure. there's something about take action, find a good plan violently executed this week is better than the perfect plan executed next week. If you hover too long philosophizing and visioneering and trying yep. to make your plan and trying to figure out your brand, that's the opposite extreme of what I'm saying. And you fell into either dish. Life is a ditch. Life is about tensions. Leadership is about tensions. Most things are not black and white. They're a tension to be managed. You know, I don't really understand my brand yet. I was just coaching someone on their event. I said, it'd be really helpful if you really got crystal clear on who the avatar is for your event. But then I said, listen, we're like seven years into this and I don't even think we're crystal clear on ours. Yeah. I mean, it's sometimes well, hard. It evolves. Yeah, we have pastors coming and real estate agents coming. We're going to teach them both about YouTube, but it's kind of like, it's two different people. So now we've been doing some more niche marketing. Bottom line is I want to encourage people to ask better questions, try to go a little bit deeper so they could build something on a strong foundation, you know, with as much clarity as possible, but don't get stuck there and realize yeah. that you said it exactly right. It does evolve and it definitely yeah. evolves as you're yeah. moving and taking action. You cannot steer a parked car. So if you get moving and you keep asking better questions, then I actually believe that'll lead you to an ultimately better destination for you in terms of reaching your goals, hitting your financial targets, building the thing you want to build, getting your message out to the world. Boom. Well, well said. For our final question, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about Video Ranking Academy. But before then, I just want to thank you, man. You didn't have to come on the show. You don't have to say yes to this. You don't have to help vision, mission-driven visionaries. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You don't have to weave your faith and your heart into all the work that you do. But just like we talked about today, just your backstory and your philosophy, that's, man, that's the real impact. And I'm just really grateful you opened up your heart today to share all of that with us. But now y'all want the tactics. I know now you want to learn. You're like, okay, Heather, stop your blabbing. I need to learn YouTube. Where do they go to do that? Well, Heather, a couple things. Well, number one, thank you. And, and no, truly humbled for the invite. My life is weird. I can't even believe I get to hang out with you. I'm a small town kid, college dropout. So everyday life is really weird and it's it's just super humbling to be here. And no, I do appreciate you letting me hang out with you and your community. As far as you could throw stuff in the show notes, yep. uh, the book is great. YouTube Secrets, second edition is out. It's new and updated. Audiobook if people like books, read by the co-author and I in a great studio, physical ebook, audiobook on Amazon. We have a, a free class that's basically like, a little over an hour of a like a module of Video Ranking Academy that people could get entirely for free. You could throw that in the show notes. And then if people want to go directly to the program, that's our main YouTube cor course. You can link to that. And then other than that, I'm Sean Cannell, Rhymes with YouTube channel across social media platforms. And Think Media is the bigger brand that yeah. we're building, Think Media and the Think Media podcast. So that's a lot. So if anybody's interested and they would say their ambition is to start or grow a YouTube channel, then definitely uh, take advantage of some of the resources in the show notes. But that's it. M more than anything, I hope that this conversation was valuable. People can uh, take away right. something that will help them make a greater impact. And um, just super grateful for you, Heather. Thank you for having me. Oh, you can't get out of here yet. We have that last question. This oh, okay. Last, last question. question. Here we go. And I promise you, I promise you, this is what we ask at the end. Okay. <laughs> what is something that you are deeply questioning right now? What is something that you are deeply questioning? It could be an old belief you used to have that is messing you up. It could be why does 
their breakfast tacos at Taco Bell. I mean, it could be mm-hmm. anything, but something that's on your heart right now that you're like, man, I don't know the answer to that. First thing that comes to mind, is this going to work? <laughs> I mean, that's what comes to mind. Mm-hmm. And I, maybe that's the mindset of an entrepreneur. That's what comes to mind is maybe people would think I exude some level of confidence, but we're all just trying to figure it out, right? <laughs> Dude, and, so and, true. and I think, and maybe people would underestimate how much self-doubt or insecurity I have. So I've got a lot of wins under my belt. I've got, I've built up a competence, confidence, momentum because of learning things. You know, there's an old book that is by the CEO of Intel. It's called stay paranoid. Some people might not be able to swallow that pill because paranoia and anxiety is a bad thing. And I think the author would agree, but stay, stay paranoid for the entrepreneur is, you know, who could take us out? Is this mm. going to keep working? Where are things going next? So as far as deep questioning, these deep questions, that's a pretty deep question. Where is it going next? What's happening next? Is this going to work? And I also want to stay humble. Like we have this vision to, do you have the audacity to build this world-class culture, to love our team, to like, you know, the way we're even building Think. It's growing pretty big. We're hiring a lot. Is it going to work? We're going to overhire too much. Are we going to have to lay people off? Are we taking too much of a risk? Are we taking, so maybe what are you deeply questioning right now? (laughs) Every day, all day as the CEO founder of this company, I'm questioning everything and not that that needs defense. I don't think I'm questioning everything from a standpoint of instability, of instability, because I feel like we are stable and solid, but I do think that hopefully that's valuable, especially for the (laughs) entrepreneur minded. I think that getting comfortable or complacent and not staying paranoid. Yeah. I, I like, I have peace like a river and joy like a fountain. I feel like I have a pretty low level of anxiety at any given day, but that doesn't mean I got one eye open. Like, so I'm kind of like, I've got this personal state that also is like, stays pretty calm if everything falls apart around me, but I got the one eye open, you know, it's real, man. It's uh, real. of like, it's real. Mm, you know, where's yeah. it going next? Is yeah. the next thing going to work? We just inked a couple big speakers for Grow Up Video Live that we thought we paid a lot for Gary Vee. Dear God, like my wife and I debated for hours about, you know, some the level that we might, but, but we see the momentum. Is it going to work? And Babe Ruth said yesterday's home runs do not win today's games. So I think the deep questions I ask is I constantly am asking kind of deep strategic questions about our decisions, our moves, what's happening. And for anybody that feels like, man, this entrepreneur thing is kind of scary. How do you have just so much confidence and certainty? I don't. <laughs> I guess you have a little bit of faith. You have a little bit of boldness. You take risks. The, the dictionary definition of an entrepreneur, everyone should look it up if they never read it. They maybe didn't realize that in the definition, is it somebody who starts or launches a business taking on a disproportionate or a extraordinary amount of, of risk and specifically financial risk? Yeah. Yeah. So deep questionings. Yeah, that'd be, and the Growth Video Live would be a specific situation. It's happening in April next year. And we are making an even bigger swing. And to speak, that's interesting because it's we do compound them. I think it's mm-hmm. unwise to sometimes make too big of swings in certain situations. Mm-hmm. But we're making an even bigger swing. And I'm like, is this going to work? I mean, it's, but we'll see. And that's, I guess, what life is about. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Preach. But that would be the deep question. You just set some people free, man, because, you know, you saying that everybody can realize that it never really goes away. It's do you move in the midst of the uncertainty anyway? Mm. And that's what you've done, Sean. So thank you. You are so cool. And I'm grateful you come on the show today. Heather, no, you're the coolest. And I appreciate you. Thank you for having me and look forward to connecting in the future.